So this time of um, the year that I'm teaching this, it's, it's cold outside. Maybe where you're watching it's hot, but it's cold here. But that's all right. We, um, we have the fires lit. The, my teddy bear is waiting for me when I get home, so I'll be okay. But I want to talk to you about a common phrase that shows up in the Old and New Testament. It's a phrase that says, that it may go well with you. And so we're going to talk at this time about what that means and how it applies and what, what is it that triggers the Lord to say that it may go well with you. And so we're going to start, first of all, way back in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is the book that, that records a recap of all the stuff that the children of us have been taught in the wilderness over the last 40 years. So Moses is close to his death here, but 120 years old, and he knows he has to recap all the stuff that God had laid down way back at Mount Sinai in the first of their journey, because there's a whole new generation out there now. All those that were 20 years of age and older, except for uh, about three of them, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, all the rest of them have been buried in the wilderness because of, of their age and, and sickness and so on. So God's starting out with a whole new bunch here. And so Moses goes through the law in order to refresh their memories in case they have heard and forgotten or in case they didn't know at all. He wants to let them know what the Lord is requiring of them. So let's listen to this from Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting at the first verse. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. So there's already a condition God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob someday he would give them that land. Now they're at a place where God's going to fulfill that promise a few hundred years later when God first mentioned it. But he says there's a condition on it. It's not going to happen if you don't obey me. Listen to this. Follow the laws, he says, the things that I've laid down. And so going on in verse 2, he says, don't add to those laws and do not subtract from the command and do not, but keep the commands of the Lord that the Lord God is giving you. And so he's basically trying to lay a foundation. The promise will happen if you will listen carefully to me. And let me talk for a moment just on the whole issue of the um, Reason why the commands were there. Why were the commands there? And here's the reason. There was, um, um, a promise by God and conditions put on a way back as far as Abraham. And the reason why there were laws and regulations was because they needed to look after their health, their food, and 
getting along with each other, how to respond to God, and so on. So really, the law was put into place. It's not just something to bind them so that they would have to behave and God could flex his muscles and show them who's boss. The law was there for their protection. He tells them that a few times. I put the law in place to protect you. But the children of Israel constantly, through the Old Testament, constantly disobeyed the Lord because it's hard to be obedient to someone you don't know, there's no relationship, he's just out there somewhere and you're down here and he's got these rules and regulations. We normally started out with the Ten Commandments, but there was a lot of other things added in order to help them through their day-by-day struggles of life. And so we have this situation where God's trying to do good to them by giving laws. Okay, a good example. When I drove here this, this afternoon, I um, observed that there's signs there because we're coming through town 60 uh, kilometers an hour. And um, if I was out of town, it'd probably be 80 on a regular highway. It would be 100 on the expressways, all these how many kilometers per hour you can travel. They're there not to bind me and keep me under control as much as they're there to protect me and protect other people on the road from my foolishness. And so the laws that God put down were for their benefit. All right, so let's take a look. When he says, don't add to them, we have a tendency to do that. Well, I'm not sure if God really meant that when he said it, you see. Or I'm not sure if really what was in his heart. What I think was really in his heart was this or that. And so we're changing. Thousands of years later, we shall still change the word of God to suit what it wants to be. And believe me, I've mentioned this before, I'll mention it again. God's word, especially the words of the New Testament, have the power of God to change men's lives. They have the power of God to bring healing and deliverance, to the healing for body, healing for the soul from the rejection wounds and so on. It has that power. But if you're not experiencing that power, maybe it's because you've stepped outside of God's words, you've developed your own words, and Jesus never promised that he'd confirm your word. He said that he would confirm his word. That's why we dare not change it. So please watch out for yourself that we're very careful because many, many teachers and people that would lead us in trying to understand the Word of God, they're doing it from a secular kind of a standpoint that says that really doesn't fit with our society. It really isn't what he meant. And, and you know, in the New Testament, Paul's heart really wasn't there. It really was this reason he said that or said that or Jesus under pressure or whatever. And so we need to be careful. If we want the power of God to change our lives and the lives of those we come in contact with, we need to make sure we don't change the Word of God. See, over in Romans 15, here's the purpose of the Old Testament. Many people might ask, if we're not responsible for the laws of the Old Testament, why is it there? Well, here's what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 4. He says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through, listen, endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
Now that simply means if I'm going through something tough, I can find something in Scripture that helps to give me the hope, and out of that hope can come faith, because faith is the substance of hope, things hoped for, it says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And so out of that hope and out of that faith, I can be encouraged. You know, there's a time when David, King David, was really discouraged because the, uh, the Philistines had attacked the base where they lived, only David and his men were away somewhere. When they come back, they had been attacked. All their, their wives and children were gone, their flocks, their herds. And the men started to blame David somewhere. And it says, David just encouraged himself in the Lord. And so the Bible wants us to be there. The Old Testament needs to be there to encourage us and to teach us endurance. We need to say, hey, guys like Job, he got through it. He got through it. Yes, he fought battles. Yes, he said things he shouldn't have said. But he repented at the end of the book. He repents. I lay my hand in my mouth, he says, I repent. And God forgave him. And he got through it, you see, much more than any of us are going through. We have no idea how long it was. But Job went through a lot in order for God to deal with something that you'll find in, in the chapters 39, 40, 41, and so on. God deals with something there. It's called pride. And so I've endeavored to humble myself. God doesn't have to do that to me. I trust him right. Another couple of verses Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, now these things happened, he's talking about the Old Testament, they happened as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they crave. So he's referring to the children of Israel. Regardless of what God did, he provided manna every day, and apparently it was good-tasting stuff. They learned how to bake it or boil it or fry it or barbecue it. I don't know what all they did, make cakes out of it. But it was good stuff, full of nutrition, the bread from heaven, the Bible calls it some. But they still grumble and complain. Oh, we should have left and should have stayed in Egypt. We had fish and meat and garlic and and beans and onions like they had all that stuff now we just have this miserable manna when they're grumbling and complaining there's a statement through scripture that we need to remember it's a statement that goes something like this now god heard them it means god's listening to our grumbling complaining he's listening and so paul here says we should watch and see in the old testament how God dealt with that grumbling and complaining, because to God, it was an affront against him because he was fully controlling, fully providing, fully protecting them, and yet they grumble, complain. And God responded in different ways. Ten times they did that. And then verse 11 of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 10. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction. Remember, Paul's saying this to the Roman church many years after Jesus had risen from the dead, gone to heaven. So he's saying the Old Testament is valuable for our instruction, and we are the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul says those of us in end times 
years that we're in. That's what that, what's with the Old Testament is for. We need to learn from it. So this phrase, this sentence, that it may go well with you, it appears many times, roughly 17, but even more, because there's other times when the, word, the sentence isn't exactly worded like that, so you can course and pick it up. But it's in there so many times. And every time it's in there, it's in the context of obedience to the Lord. If we obey him, it will be well with you, he says to me and to you. If you obey, it'll be well with you. What an awesome promise. Things will go well. Listen, to me personally, if I obey, it will be well with me. If my family obeys, it will be well with them. If my people in my church obey, it will be well with them. If the people that live in my community will obey the Lord, it will be well with them. If the people of this nation will obey the Lord, it will be well with them. That's the promise. We haven't heard it, and we haven't listened to it. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, verse 40, it says, keep his commandments. These are some examples. I'm just going to read a few through, giving you examples of what the Old Testament says about it. Keep his commandments and his laws, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Now listen. He not only says to me as a person, Howard, if you obey me, I will go well with you, but it's going to affect the next generation. As a matter of fact, Exodus 40, where the Ten Commandments is spelled out, he not only says the next generation if we're obedient, but he says to many thousands after us if we'll obey the Lord. So that's an awesome promise. Then we go to Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. He says there, Honor your father and mother as the Lord has, your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What's he saying? He's saying, <clears throat> if, if I honor my father and my mother, that doesn't just mean when I'm little. It means even at my age, if my parents were alive, I need to honor them. Now, honor doesn't always mean obey. It does as long as you're under their authority as a child and a teenager. I believe when, it, when you're living in their home, you need to be honoring them and obeying. Honor means you don't speak evil of them. You don't go along with the crowd when they say, oh, I've got a rotten father type attitude or I've got a picky mom. Um, you don't go along with them. You walk away from that, or you, or you stop the whole thing by saying, well, I have awesome parents, even though you know they have faults like everybody else. I have awesome parents, and they love me, they protect me. Dad, Dad works hard to feed me, and he buys clothes for me. My mom cooks for me and washes my stuff. They look after me. They're good parents. You see, we're honoring them by speaking well with them. What is the promise given? If we honor our parents, then it may go well with us. 
My dad was dead. I wish I'd known this earlier. He died when I was in my late 20s. And I wasn't aware of this, but my mom was still living. And I said to her one day, Mom, I know I haven't been a son that lived in a lot of rebellion. I've really loved you and honored, but there's times when I didn't do what you, I knew you would want me to do, and there's times that I did do when I knew you didn't want me to do them. And she said, that's all right, Howard, I forgive you. But I, in some way, I honored her before her death, and I would encourage you out there, if you have parents and you want to go to them and ask for forgiveness for any rebellion, any dishonor, any disobedience, please do so because to honor your parents, then you see, listen to my story. This is an actual story from one of our counseling sessions. A lady was sitting beside Margaret and I. We're counseling with her, and she was telling me about her 16-year-old daughter, how, how this girl was speaking against her, swearing at her, being doing everything in disobedience, just total rebellion. And she sat there and she's crying, hurting terribly because of this daughter. The Lord dropped something into my heart. And I said to her, uh, let's just stop for a minute. Would you tell me, what was your relationship to your mom and dad when you were that age? Her head dropped. She started doing with her thumbs down on her lap. And she said, that's the way I treated my mom. He said, the curse had simply moved from her on into her child. And if that child doesn't deal with it, it'll move down to the next. And every generation, we add a bit to it, and it gets worse. That's why many people would say, if they're watching our culture today, they say, they would say, every, every generation gets a bit worse. More sin, more rebellion, more disobedience. God wants to stop that. He wants to stop it for your benefit, for the benefit of our families. But we have to cooperate with him and repent and turn back. Now, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 6, from verses 1 to 3. He said he's quoting Deuteronomy. And so we know that it carries into the New Testament. Here's another example from Deuteronomy 5. Verse 29, remember, Moses is going through all the laws, and he keeps saying, if you'll obey, it'll be well with you. He says, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to hear me. God is speaking, Moses is quoting it, and keep all my commands always, so that I might go well with them and their children as well. Again, he mentions the children, the second generation. So we know God is anxious. He's anxious for us to come online with this thing about obedience. In the Old Testament, it says the Old Covenant was there for their protection. I've mentioned that. The New Covenant in the New Testament says in Hebrews is much better. So therefore, how much more, if the promises are better, our urgency to be obedient? I'm going to get into that probably in the second part of this. Well, let's go on with some examples. And in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 3, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to what he's saying. 
if you obey, you'll increase greatly. If you obey, you will prosper. If you obey, my blessings will be poured out on you. Now, if you were to go back to Deuteronomy 27, 28, you would see there where God is saying, um, if, uh, at, the, at the very end, Moses is kind of recapping. I haven't got time to put it in here. But he says, here's, here's the list of all the blessings God wants to give you if you'll obey me. And then over here is the curses that will come on you if you disobey me. And so God gave those to Moses. He's given them to the people. And back, he says a number of times through in Deuteronomy, if you will walk with me, I will watch over you. I will protect you. See, today, there's Jewish people, and I love the Jewish people. I'm not picking on them. This is not hatred in any way. But the Jewish people, there's many of them that says there can't be any God because he's not protecting us. They have forgotten a condition to walk in obedience to the Lord, and then he'll start protecting us. <clears throat> and then there's Deuteronomy 8. He certainly has got a theme in this book, I'll tell you. Deuteronomy 8, 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, <laughs> something your fathers had never known. In other words, back in Egypt, they never realized. There's stuff coming down every morning. They get up, it's on the ground. They go out and they pick it and they live on that for the day. Your fathers never knew that. And he did that to humble you and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. In other words, if you are humbled and I test you and you pass that test, it'll go well with you. Now, he tested them 10 times. They failed every test. So it did not go well with them. He says, all you people, anybody over 20 years of age, 20 and more, um, you're not going to make it to the promised land. We're going to spend more time in the wilderness until you're dead and buried. Then we'll take the young generation in. But you've, you've failed the tests. You keep saying we want to die here, so that's what we'll do. You will die here. And so God's promises became null and void for the people 20 and over, and they died in the wilderness. They never saw the wilderness. They never saw the promised land, pardon me. So the testings of the Lord was that they would pass, and it would go well with them. I want to pass the tests the Lord puts in my life. We went through many Starting our ministry back in 73, no promise of salary, nothing. I quit a job of nine years, lose my company car, start all over again. My house wasn't paid for. The Lord tested us a few times, but we never went hungry. We always had our bills paid on time, except for two times my tax installment for my property. I was a day late on it. What I did the day it was due, I put the tax bill up in the back of my desk on the books. And I said, well, Father, after today, you have to pay interest on that. He had it paid in two days. So he doesn't want to pay interest to the world no more than we should want to. But you see, it was still a test. And I believe, I, 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 without boasting, I believe I passed the test. I say, Lord, I can't do this. You have to do it. See, that's the humbling. I can't do it, Lord, without you. 
I can't look after myself without you. I've grown up in, an, in a, a culture that says, yes, you can look after yourself. But Lord, I humble myself and say, no, I can't. And that's what God was trying to get out of the children of Israel. That, that thing in the slavery, they worked hard all day. They got their food given to them by the, by the, um, the, the captives in Egypt. And you say, at the end of the day, well, I work for this food, so therefore I deserve it. Now God's saying, you have to be humbled. I'm giving you this bread. You're not working for it, and you're not even believing for it. It's just there. I'm humbling you. Keep you alive without you having to do anything. That's a humbling experience. Another example is Deuteronomy 12. Um, it's verse 28. He says, be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you so that it may always go well with you. And you and your children, third time you mentioned children, be, after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that something? God is constantly banging on this. It will go well with you. I want you guys to prosper. I want you guys to be happy. I want your families to be whole and healthy. I want you to have good relationships. And if you will, and I want you to be prosperous and your crops to be good. I want the land to produce for you. If you will obey me, all these things will happen. Been in countries where the land is not producing because they turned away from the Lord years ago. And God says about three times, and I'm aware of even more, that it says it differently, but three times he says, the country that turns against me, I will utterly destroy it. I've seen those nations utterly destroyed. Crops not growing, lack of rain, people rummaging through garbage hoping to find a crust. I've seen it. It hurts. It's going to come here if we don't turn around. Then Deuteronomy 19 and verse 13. <clears throat> God is speaking about if somebody kills somebody, the person that killed him intentionally has to die. Has to die. Because his blood will avenge the spilling of the innocent person's blood. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 19, verse 13. Show him no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Now, I'm not here to promote whether we should have capital punishment or not. That's not an issue today with this. But what he is saying here, there's innocent blood that's being spilled. And he's saying to Canada today, and he's saying to many nations, there's innocent blood being spilled today. And you see, God somewhere is going to say that's enough. No more abortions. No more putting to death people that we don't want, older people or handicapped people, which we're not exactly there yet with handicapped, but that's on the, it's on the horizon out there. It's obvious. And you see, we have innocent blood all over our hands. And God says, you do that, it's not going to go well with you. As a nation, it will not go well with you. And that's where we're heading, folks. 
how much more today do we need the intercessory prayers of the church, not just to stop the government from doing stuff, but we need the intercessory prayers that Canada would have revival from coast to coast. And then the people from that revival, when they vote, they would vote in a godly leadership. That's the only world. If we put the leadership out that we've got, but the people are still sinful in their hearts, they'll just vote for another evil party. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Because their hearts are evil, so they'll vote for those who promise them more freedom than the experience of somebody else. Deuteronomy 11. I'm going to, he says, this is right from the beginning. I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today. If you don't believe that there's curses in the New Testament, because some people take um, the the verse in Galatians 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Yes, he did. But there has to be repentance because a curse and sin are connected. Sins produce curses. And if, if it does not go well with us, that's a curse. And it's brought on by sin. So if you've been taught there's no curse in the New Testament, why don't you read the last chapter of Revelation? That's when the curse is dealt with. And so as far as I'm concerned, I've repented of every known sin. I'm free from the curse that those sins brought on me. But you see, that curse is still there upon our nation because we're a nation that has turned away from God. Now the word that Moses was given applies to today. Now listen to it. I'm going to just touch on it. And then next time, I'm going to pick this up and start here. But Deuteronomy 18, verse 17, the Lord said to me, this is Moses talking, I will raise up for them a prophet from among your people like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him, and I shall... And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That's Jesus that's coming. I'm going to talk more about that in part two next time I'm with you. I want to pray for you. Father, I am so burdened for this nation and, Lord, for the nations I've visited Oh, Lord, how easy it would be for us to deal with their sin, turn back to you so your blessing could start to flow in personal lives and families and communities, in our provinces or states, in our whole land. How easy it would be just to deal with their sin through repentance and put you first in our life, Lord God. But, Lord, we're stubborn and we will not do it. And, Lord, we ask you to have mercy. And, Lord, send forth a spirit of repentance, send forth revival, release the prophets in this land, Lord God, that would preach the word of God across this land. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.
please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.